Fading Memories is sponsored by I'm Up. I'm Up is an app that gives you independence, security, and peace of mind. Find it in your favorite app store and use invite code 006 when you sign up. Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. Jennifer and her sister chose MBK Senior Living for Mom, and as tough as it was, it was the right decision. MBK has a culture of genuine care, one that puts the needs of residents and their families first. They achieve this by building on a solid infrastructure of warm, inviting living spaces and impeccable amenities in attractive, desirable locations. Then their commitment to providing relationship-based care and their attention to each individual sets them apart. MBK gives back to their community, which is especially meaningful to our family. Their commitment every day is to practice compassion and to pay attention to residents' needs so that they can be nimble enough to adjust care accordingly. Their core motivation is, let our family help your family. And I can tell you that for our family, that goal is achieved. Mom seems happy, she has friends, and it's certainly a much better situation for her than living with us. At an MBK Senior Living Community, their motto is, we are all family and here is home. For more information, go to their website, mbkseniorliving.com, or give them a call at 949 949- Two four two one four zero zero. If you're part of the sandwich generation, raising kids while also taking care of a parent suffering from memory loss, then you've probably had the question of, what's wrong with grandma? Or why doesn't grandpa remember me anymore? I didn't have to deal with that because by the time my mom didn't remember my daughter, my daughter was an adult. My sister has, and... It's not an easy conversation to have, and it's kind of sometimes difficult to explain. Well, on today's episode, I talked to Katherine Harrison. She was part of that sandwich generation with a toddler and a newborn when her mom developed Alzheimer's. She was inspired by a comment from her daughter to write a children's book that is immensely helpful in discussing what's going on with grandma or grandpa. Once you've listened to my conversation, I'm sure you're going to want your own copy of Weeds in Nana's Garden. It's a beautifully illustrated book, and it will definitely help explain memory loss to young children. So Jennifer, thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. I'm excited to talk to you. My name is Katherine Harrison, and I am... uh, Let's see, I was a caregiver, now I'm a, a writer and an illustrator, a designer by trade, uh, and uh, have made it my mission after my family's experience with dementia to help everyone be more aware of the disease and also specifically for kids and family members to be more aware and and increase their understanding. And with that becomes everyone, I believe, is helped by everyone understanding it and being more aware of it. I completely agree. It's unfortunately, it's it's a steep learning curve when you're in the caregiving space or you have a family member with the disease. And it'd be much better if everybody had a better understanding of what the disease is and how it affects things because I'm still learning things and people are opening my eyes to things that should be really obvious, but aren't sometimes. 
So it's, yeah. it's beneficial that all of us are trying to help spread awareness, destigmatize, all that good stuff. Yes, and uh, by you doing what you're doing, it's just so awesome because when I was in my caregiver space, having time to do anything is really, you know, it's really precious to find time to, to learn. And uh, I, when I was, when my mom had dementia, I was driving a lot to visit her and it would have been awesome to have a podcast. That's, that's why I started it because... I, I realized my mom is in a care community mm-hmm. and I realized in all my research, trying to find ways to connect with her and all the stuff I've said, all this before on past episodes led me to realize that, you know, if you were in your case or if you had your loved one at home, you know, you might not have time. You probably wouldn't have time to do a deep internet research dive like I was doing. And I was coming up with a headache and blurry eyes and not a lot of useful information. Mm -hmm. Um, When my dad was on hospice, I was driving, you know, about 40 minutes back and forth to deal with him and tried really hard not to listen to any of my favorite music because I didn't want it colored with, (laughs) with the uh, sadness of what was going on. But I got into podcasts just you know, I listen to political ones and funny ones, and I've learned so much that when I went searching for a podcast on Alzheimer's, there was very few and far between. Mm-hmm. And the one that is closest to mine didn't resonate with me. So I thought, what the heck? I'll start my own. There you go. This is this is what this is one of the hidden gifts of uh, of having this journey happen. Is I think all of us discover things that we can do and learn things and are enriched ourselves because we're pushed into situations that we haven't ever faced before. That is true. It seems everybody I talk to ends up in the place, their, their place in within the Alzheimer's world in such different ways. It's, it's fascinating. And I I hope the listeners enjoy all the different stories. That's that's my goal. I think it's kind of an encouraging outcome too, that we, we learn a lot about ourselves through the process and discover things and oh my goodness. <laughs> that is true. So tell me about your mom. Okay. Uh, so my mom actually had early onset uh, dementia. So she was diagnosed. We had this weird connection between my son being born and my mom being diagnosed at the same time. So I had, as my, um, as I was, as my second child, so I had a two-year-old and then I had my son and we knew that my mom was showing some signs that she was having memory impairment. But as you are probably familiar and a lot of the listeners are familiar, sometimes it takes a long time to get to that diagnosis. So it wasn't a huge surprise, but it was a strange timing for us to have his birth and her diagnosis happened similar, similar time frame, but it was um, a journey that as, as a new mother doing together with my children, I think led us into different paths and uh, growth in different ways than other people that I thought was really interesting. Um, having my kids with being that age, they were with me a lot of the times with my mom. So it, there was no way we could not talk about what was going on with my mom. Um, she had a relatively rapid decline. Her whole illness uh, lasted uh, seven years. So it was a pretty fast uh, change 
And we've discovered after there was a lot of uh, a lot of signs during the illness that it might be not Alzheimer's disease, uh, just because of the speed of it and some of the ways that she changed. Uh, she lost her speech relatively soon in the process, mm-hmm. and she was was showing things that were similar to Pick's disease, or also called frontal temporal dementia, like having food obsessions um, and different things like that. And when we actually, when she did pass away, we had an autopsy done because we felt that it would be helpful for us to understand what it was. And it was discovered then it was a frontal temple degeneration that she had. My dad, because mom was only 60, uh, 62, um, my dad was with her and he was her primary caregiver. I was the support person that, and I lived uh, in a town about an hour and a half away. And so I was the, the objective third person in, in the mix. Cause my two, I have two uh, siblings, but they both live away. My brother is world traveler. He's currently in Singapore, but at the time was in England and Dubai and my sister, as you know, lives in Los Angeles. <laughs> so they were also very helpful and supportive. One of the things we did do actually is have like podcast type calls together <laughs> uh, to talk about what was happening. That was probably very useful. Yeah. And it kind of ties into um, the two episodes I released the week of Thanksgiving. I talked to a podcaster and his mom about their family journey with his grandmother's uh, Alzheimer's. His grandmother passed away in June and their family formed what they call the committee (laughs) and the committee, basically everybody did what they were comfortable with doing, which is a very good way of approaching family caregiving because not everybody can deal with the day to day. Not everybody can read all the health insurance paperwork and not want to lose their mind. That would be me. I can't do that. Um, you know, so everybody has a different skill set and they just, I don't know, they just naturally came together as a committee, which like I said, that's what they call it. And I think they're all fairly close, but I bet you they use, you know, some sort of conference calling as well to, to coordinate. And what's nice is they've, you know, the grandmother's passed away, but her younger sister now has also, also has Alzheimer's and they expanded the family committee to help take care of her because she never married or had children. Oh, that's but, wonderful. Yeah, I mean, they're just like, they're an inspiration and they're, they're, to me, they're a blueprint. That's how I refer to them. And if you listen to, I don't remember, because we talked for so long, it was like, oh, great, so much for 45 minutes. <laughs> Even splitting it into two, it wasn't 45 minutes for each piece. But they were talking about, we were talking about trusts and, you know, living trusts. And they were they were talking about basically it sounded the same as if you were to set up a, a board of trustees, oh. sort of like a care board. They were wow. talking about so that everybody knew what everybody's desires were. And hmm. it was, it was a very interesting thought process, but you know, they really just great. Yeah, it was, you know, and, and talking to them, she, his mom said it was, it helped her process her mom, the loss of her mom. So it's, it's a, it's an interesting journey. So you were on the other end of the spectrum with really young kids and an hour and a half drive. That must've been a nightmare. It was, 
you know, it was just so different from my friends that were having their moms looking after their kids for them. And I was in such a different boat, but, um, we lived in the city and my parents live in a lovely little town. So my kids love going to see my mom and my dad and, uh, in their garden and the beautiful beach and the, you know, the little uh, rivers that they got to walk. So it was, Uh, especially in the beginning when mom was still at home, it was, you know, a treat for them to go to see. And, uh, and it was something that they look forward to. And like I said, we did spend a lot of time with mom. So they, they were intuitively very aware that things were changing for her, but because they were so young, they were also very unjudgmental about it and accepting of it and taught me a lot about it um, because they were, they didn't mind that things were changing in the same way that we often do. They weren't looking at how she was kind of becoming a different person. They were just embracing the person that was there to play with them and wanting to dance with them. And yeah, so I think it was a really good fit for us. We were lucky to have this transpire for her. Um, and for me, actually, like, I think it was really helpful. And for my dad, because having our, our kids, having the kids there just light, lightens up everything. <laughs> so. That's true. My mom loves to watch kids. I take her to the park or I try to take her out where we can have little activities. Yeah. You know, this time of year, it's a, it's a bit more difficult to, you know, to, to go to a park and it having full of children. But, you know, right. being a mom and a grandmother, she just loves that. You know, if we're at a store shopping for whatever she needs, I get a little nervous because she will approach moms with babies in strollers. She hasn't attempted to touch any of them. And I hope that it's somewhat obvious that she's impaired because mm-hmm. I know people are very judgmental and they're very nervous, especially with babies. And so I, I get, of course, hyper aware of what's going on. It's, but <laughs> she just lights up whenever she sees babies or little kids. And I wish there was a way of bringing in more like young children into her care community you know, on a regular basis to liven up the joint. I agree. And, uh, you know, there are some programs, especially in Europe, where they are comfortable mixing, you know, daycare and um assisted care communities and having kids come in. Um, It's something that I would like to look into and investigate to happen a bit more because what you were saying was so true. And, you know, when mom was in a care home, you know, I could tell that the residents were really enjoying having my kids around and we would go and my daughter would just sit at the table and do whatever craft was happening. uh, And there, they were always welcome and they would skip down the halls and just add a lovely energy. And actually I just, um, I, I created a couple of children's books and the one I just launched, I actually worked with a woman who is a social worker in a care home in, out in Calgary, or sorry, Edmonton, Alberta. And she um, doesn't have a loved one with dementia, but she brings her young children into her care home a lot as well so you know start let's start with ideas like this and then let's see where we could go I, I like I said I feel like there is some opportunity there that we could work out <laughs> I'm just not sure how it will play out yet 
we have a um, an adult day program here in my town that does incorporate kids. There's a school there, um, a private school and a daycare. So in the early part of the day, they'll bring over the preschoolers and they interact with the seniors for about half hour, 45 minutes. And then in the afternoon, they'll bring over the school age kids who do the same thing. And some of the adults who are still um, higher functioning might be the right term. Sometimes they help kids with homework or they read to the kids you know it's they're basically like surrogate grandparents right and the the children benefit the seniors benefit but when I spoke to the director of the um, day program it became very clear to me how the the sandwich generation people the the parents and the kids you know the parents of the kids that were at the preschool and the kids of the parents who were at the day program. <laughs> yes, the yes. people in the middle. Yes. So you might want to listen to that episode. It's oh, called It Takes a Village because it was really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I think it's such an amazing pairing. Yeah, I was very impressed with just the broad spectrum of benefits. You know, the kids would come home and, you know, the older kids, their homework would be at least somewhat <laughs> completed or, you know, the little kids had somebody who they sat in their lap and they read to them. You know, it's obvious, you know. It, it seems like it needs to be a bit of a grassroots effort because, uh, for example, like I have a really great friend who's a nurse practitioner at one of the care homes in town and we've spoken about it. And then I've spoken to our one of our daycares and they're interested, but it's one of those things that, yeah, right now we can possibly work at a grassroots level where we can find care homes and we can find daycares that want to move together and just try and do it that way to try and find those opportunities. Yeah, I know ours has been um, in operation this year. I think they launched in March and they were told, was we have a lot of retirement neighborhoods in our city. And they were told, oh, this is so needed, it's so needed, it's so needed. So they went through all of the governmental steps to get it set up, which, of course, is not easy. And (laughs) they've been growing at literally a snail's pace. And it's really frustrating for them because they see how great this program is and the benefits for everybody. And they were told how much it was needed, and now they're kind of left wanting. And it's frustrating. We're not a very big town. We're technically a city. It's about 63,000 people. Okay. So perhaps, and there is another, there are two other day adult day programs close by. So there might, you know, it's, it's a challenge because you don't want them to be too far from where your loved one is. Right. But it seems like in our area, three of them might be too many at this point. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. You know the population's aging, so they just might have to wait. <laughs> and these and these uh, per, these are happening, right? These pairings are happening, and they're more publicized all the time. And there's more happening all the time. So, like I said, slowly at a grassroots level, maybe we can. Yeah, I mean, I've heard uh, you talk about uh, some of your other podcasts that you know finding activities for um, people to do together and. For me, the kids' activities paired so beautifully with my mom's activities. The music that my, I remember, I still remember so much, like, you know, when you have a baby, you have those musical toys that play all the little familiar nursery rhymes and everything. And my mother would sit there so proud knowing every single one. She's like, 
I know them all. I know them all, <laughs> you know? And I was like, yes, this is the kind of music that she really was having a, a strong connection with is, you know, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and those types of songs that she uh, just knew them all right away. And that's the sort of thing I wouldn't have necessarily discovered if I didn't have little children near me at all. Well, I might have to try nursery rhymes with my mom, God forbid, <laughs> because as I mentioned, you know, I have done all of the typical ways to connect with somebody. Now my mom is advanced Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. um, I tried the, you know, looking at old photo albums and music and, you know, nothing worked. The only music she's connected with is Christmas carols. So I will play now that we're, you know, okay. Yeah, now there were Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> and I, what I might do if, if she actually really does connect with them as much as it looked like last year, mm -hmm. I might just keep a, a playlist of Christmas carols on my phone and let her listen to them through I, ear, earbuds. Cause yeah. you know, I had her and uh, another resident, her, her friend that's a resident in the care community we went to the nail place on Monday. Um, they both desperately needed manicures. And I got home and I told my husband, you know, two, two old ladies with Alzheimer's and Asian Christmas carols, my mind is fried. <laughs> and they, the Christmas carols were not in English, but they were definitely at the tune that you recognize. So, of course, I had this weird amalgamation of Christmas noise in my head the rest of the night. And I was just like, this is like torture. And... <laughs> then toddler songs the nursery rhymes oh no no i don't think i could listen to those but if she connects with them i'll let her listen to them through my ear earphones oh, yes they have lullaby ones that are kind of pretty um it's, what i was gonna say is what my, my mom also liked a similar note was the classic books that you might have memorized as a child like the night before Christmas for example she would know all of that and so she would love to sit with my kids and of course she wasn't reading the book but she knew the words so she liked those kinds of books like uh, the owl and the pussycat and the those old kind of really familiar nursery rhymes she really enjoyed those well, I'll have to test some of those out she well, she's not going to sit down and read a nursery rhyme with me. I'm too old. <laughs> Even my niece and nephew who are still school-aged are too old. My niece just turned 13, so right. on Thanksgiving, my sister looked at her and said, she's growing up so fast. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. And my daughter just turned 27, so it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's like, there aren't really any kid kids. My nephew's nine, um, but he's on the autism spectrum, so he he has his own thing. He kind of, he's not withdrawn like a lot of autistic people are but he's definitely in his own world he does his own thing mm -hmm. uh, my father-in-law is the same way but I don't think he's on the autism spectrum so, sure, so <laughs> you know, it's, he wants to do what he wants to do yeah he's he's very high functioning but um you know he definitely he has his particular ways of wanting things done and there's that's the way it needs to be done so I'm not sure how that works with my mom Right. But he's not going to want to sit still while she reads him nursery rhymes either. <laughs> and she she can still read, but her mind does not process the words properly more often than not. Yeah. Okay. So you'd have to, she don't, she'd have to recite them. So you wouldn't even need a book. So, 
Right. That, that kind of leads me into the question. You wrote a book called Weeds in Nana's Garden, which is a yeah. way of explaining the disease to children. So tell me a little bit about your book and then how, like the research that came, that led you into helping us tell children about this disease. I like to give claim for the idea to my daughter. Um, one of the things we love to do together with my mom is go for a walk and my mom had a gorgeous big back garden. And one day after a walk in the garden, my five-year-old commented when we were putting some of the bouquets that we picked in a vase. And she said to me that there was more weeds in the garden. It was harder to find flowers than normal or than it used to be. And that it gave me an opportunity to talk to my daughter about my mom and the, her and what was uh, changing in mom and the disease. And I talked about her brain and I talked about how there's um, this disease in their brain that's making it harder for her to find things. And it was my daughter that said, mom, it's like the weeds. And I said, what do you mean? It's like the weeds. She's like, like the weeds, they're weeds. They're hiding the flowers. We can't find the flowers. It's like she has the weeds are in her brain. And uh, I was sort of blown away by that. I said, well, yeah, that's actually really a good way of visualizing what's happening to Nana. And she's, so she, we talked about that uh, and it was sort of the way we spoke about it from then on. And we used that metaphor to say that you know, the flowers are really blooming today or something. If, if my mom was really seemed active and energetic or the weeds are really, you know, growing a lot right now and she seemed angry and upset and it was a good way for us to be relatable and talk about it. And because of that, um, I was thinking as, as we were going through the disease that it would be wonderful to have more children's books. Um, and it, it just sort of naturally flowed into me doing this book for other children and other families after my mom passed. Yeah, that's an excellent metaphor because it's because it's very visual. It's it's very hard to understand the disease sometimes because you can't see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a broken leg or you know they don't even look sick. You know, not really. I mean, at the old at, at the later stages they start looking not normal. Normal being sort of not quite the right word, but. Yeah, I understand. No, yeah. I, <laughs> it's so hard to find the words sometimes. Yes, it is. No, you're right. It's so hard to find the words. And so <laughs> that's why this was a, such a beautiful way of describing it. And it helped with what you're talking about too, like things like from one day to the next, it could be different. You know, you really, you used to try and, I remember my dad and I getting so like hung up on trying to find rational or logical reasons for what was happening now or why, oh, isn't it interesting, fascinating that she can memorize the whole, uh, uh, you know, owl and the pussycat, but she can't tie her shoes and just this, but my, but my daughter just kept saying, well, the weeds, you know, they move, they grow, it changes when the wind blows. And yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's why we came up with that. No, that's, that's, I love that metaphor with it. You know, they move and they change and the wind's blowing, they're covering over their spots because one of the, I, I had a conversation yesterday with a future guest and we were talking about, well, she asked me if my mom, recognizes me and I said she knows I'm somebody important but no she doesn't remember I'm her daughter mm-hmm. and most of the time at least I thought until this week I thought she believed I was a really good friend which mm-hmm. is fine you know that's okay 
But when she starts telling her fellow residents that I'm her sister, you know, I don't correct her. I don't say anything, but boy, does that bug me because, and it, well, the, the interesting thing is if you took a photograph of my mom, my aunt, my sister, and my daughter at the same age, made them all black and white, you would probably not be able to tell who they were. They'd all look like the same person. Mm-hmm. And there are three blondes in our family. My uncle, my mom's youngest brother, myself, and my niece. So there's one in each generation. So you'd think <laughs> logically, there's the, there's the flaw in the thought that she'd remember that the blonde was the daughter. Right. You know, she might not remember my name, but you know, you'd think I've been blonde my whole life. So it's like, <laughs> and the gal I was speaking to yesterday, she's like, her mind not even might not even process that you're blonde. She might not even see the color. And I'm like, well, duh, don't tell me logical things, because, <laughs> you know, because this is not, you know, it was just funny. I'm like, and that's like, I understand her brain doesn't process written words the way, you know, she knows how to read and I've, I've heard her read, but when she's with me, she stumbles and, you know, if I try to get her to read, she trips over the words a lot more than if she's on her own. And I discovered that with the, um, the two lap books, which are designed for memory impaired adults. Yeah. And I have a, the recording device is voice activated and I left it on the table between her and her friend when I went to the ladies room. And when I listened to the recording back at home, she had no problem reading when she was with her friend, but with me, she kept stumbling over words. And I thought that's just really fascinating. It is fascinating. Um, so I understand the brain doesn't process the written word. You know, it's like a faulty computer. I use that analogy, but you know, my, my brain couldn't process the thought that her brain didn't process what I look like <laughs> as her daughter. Like, duh. Okay. So that's, that's what's great about talking to all these different people is I get benefits you know, if I'm getting it, then I know listeners are also getting it. Cause like, I don't know how you cannot understand that, that metaphor, that analogy of the weeds is just, you'd have to grow up in like a concrete jungle and have no plans <laughs> to not understand that reference. <laughs> and then there's like the whole emotional side, like just back to what your story is too. I mean, I remember trying to piece together, uh, like is it it went our positive emotions you know or is she happy like when later stages when she was less verbal like what is how can I tell if she's happy how can I tell if she's enjoying it or am I stressing her out or like what you're trying when you're trying when I take her for a walk is it a good thing or a bad thing or and you you just have to sometimes just intuitively follow what you think right you can't rationalize it out um you just have to intuitively feel it or something. Yeah, I agree with that because they were renovating the entire community. It's it's a memory community and assisted living oh, all wow. summer. Oh, and boy. of course, you know, I'm sure you have been aware that California has spent most of this year on fire. Oh, yes. <laughs> so there was a lot of cruddy air in the summer. Of course, what we had a couple weeks ago where I live, it was the worst air quality in the world. I mean, in my entire life, I've never experienced air that bad. It was like, I didn't even let the dog outside other than to go to the bathroom. It was that bad. So over the summer, we'd go out, we'd go to the um, regional parks that have like a, it's a man-made swimming hole, but it's actually more like a swimming pool. It's, it's like a combination pond and pool. It's really weird. 
okay. chlorinated clear water, but it has like the beach entrance with sand. Mm-hmm. And then it, it goes into like a pool bottom. It's very strange. That was weird to walk across for myself. And she, she was very, um, not sure how to think about that one, but we go out all the time. And sometimes she's very nervous about falling or tripping and she's physically great. Mm. And it was interesting. The last time we were out in the park, she kept tenderly feeling along the way with her feet, tippy tapping along. was like, the ground is flat lady. Come on. (laughs) And I was a little worried that, you know, that, that it was stressful, but she told me how much she enjoyed it. So I just Mm -hmm. feel like if we go out, it gives us, it gives her a different perspective and it gives us something to talk about and some, you know, just something else to do. And especially while they were, while they were renovating the community was, oh yeah, it was like, even on the really bad smoky days, it's like, well, let's maybe go over to the the tea place or, and I'm, drove past a McDonald's and I don't eat fast food, but they have redone the outside and the biggest sign says play space. I'm like, duh, I need to take her to a, you know, now that the weather's raining and you know, it's, it's much nicer where I'm at than in Toronto where you're at, I'm (laughs) sure. But I was like, you know, after school kids in the play place, you know, get Mm -hmm. a soda. She nope. watch them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not, not my first choice of places to go, but I think she'd enjoy it. So that's, that's on our list. Yeah. Um, unfortunately we have a neuro- neurology appointment next week, so that'll be our outing. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing that you can take her out because that was kind of my mission to, um, when she was in the care home with my mom was to take her out to outings and walks and out for lunch and out for coffee and just out and about for, for you and for them and having sharing special memories with them and sharing special times with them as well as them having a new, uh, a new change of scenery and fresh air. And yeah. Yeah. And I, like I said, I've, I've taken, her and her friend out, like I did Monday, we went to the nail place. Another friend, I took her, but all the all my mom's friends are named Diane, which is her name. <laughs> so I, I just take the Dianes out, and we've gone to the local park with the splash zone and watched kids till I thought I was going to die from heat. <laughs> this was about 105. Oh, I was like, fine. are these ladies ever going to go? Um, you know, and I've... Once school started, it got a little more challenging, more comfortable weather-wise, but more challenging to find the kids in the earlier afternoon. But um, what I like when you said, because, you know, your kids were young as your mom's di- disease was progressing, they, I don't think they knew that that wasn't normal. That's just what happened. And it just was, you know, it wasn't, they were young enough that they just accepted it, I think. Is that right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they knew that she was different from their grandfather they, and from uh, their other grandparents. Um, in some ways, she was more liberal. She was more uh, fun. You know, the, I have this great um, time where we were doing the gingerbread house and mom was sitting at the dining room table with my son was probably three at this point. And she starts throwing the candy on willy-nilly like all over and of course me being 
Well, most of these, all these women in this time period were like, what? You're back in the gingerbread house. That's not the way to do it. Yeah, you were. And my son, he looked at me. I still remember this. He looked at me and he looked at her and he looked at me and he took the whole bag of candy and he put it all on top. He poured it all over the roof and it was just like this huge pile of candy. And then it fell on the floor and then they started throwing it and then oh it ended up being this hilarious moment. And well, it's yeah. good that it was a hilarious moment because <laughs> you It's be, a gingerbread house, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, and you have to learn how to let go of those things, but you yeah. know, I'm sure your artistic side was like, no, you're you're wrecking it. <laughs> but you know what? I took a photo of it because at the end of it, it just looked crazy amazing. Like it was just so much more than you ever would put so many more sprinkles so many much more icing it was just this crazy mess but it was an enjoyable crazy mess and and my if my do, if my son hadn't done that I don't know if I would have been more con- trying to control it and oh we don't need to put that much candy on or whatever but no he's like let's just go for it <laughs> Nana's doing it does he remember that that he doesn't, but he knows the picture of the gingerbread house because I have it big because it was such a, a visual um, for me to, to stop um, trying to control things and just accept and enjoy the moment. <laughs> Which is excellent advice and extremely hard to do. Extremely hard to do. Having a little three-year-old helps you. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Because they, unfortunately, some with the disease, they almost regress back into that mentality the toddler mentality you can't treat them that way right unless you want trouble but it's that's how you know you can't reason with them just like you can't reason with a two-year-old either you can try but <laughs> I mean I do I, I say that uh, you know some people said was it hard having little kids with mom and I feel like it was better for me in a way because I was in the zone of having a toddler that you couldn't reason with so just much more oh we're just gonna go here now (laughs) let's just keep going um yeah yeah it's really an interesting position you get put in as your loved one is changing before you and yeah now I know I think in our emails you were saying that you did research for the book with nine-year-olds oh yeah so um, as it was progressing, so I didn't. I had it just as an idea when my I was with when my mom was alive, and then when she passed away, I started working on it. And I really wanted to get more than just my children's perspective on it. So I went into three different classrooms of nine-year-olds, and I showed them the rough version of the book. We talked about it. We read it they input it in it like there's some things in there the fairies that are in there's a fairies in the story it's sort of like a, a hidden bond that the girl and the grandmother shares this belief in fairies and that was an idea that stemmed from the kids talking about how they things they love about um their you know imaginary imagination and things they love about with with a loved one if you sort of share this little secret so it was part of that and then the other thing that came out of it was to develop a question and answer that's at the back of my book uh the kids asked so many questions just (laughs) I remember after I did the little rough uh story to them and the just you know like 20 million hands all at once 
so and then the uh, so we talked about it and that was it was their questions and my answers that made me like this needs to be in the book too this is great this is great getting them just the what they would say like why I don't understand why do people have trouble moving why are people in wheelchairs like that doesn't make any sense to me I see you guys tell me it's in they're losing their memory it's in their brain why are they in a wheelchair that kind of question and those are the types of things that led me to develop these question and answers and I'm just really grateful because I think it adds uh, a great place so for a family to to take their child and themselves through the story and then they can spend time on the questions and answers afterwards and then can can offer um, a child opportunity to talk about and ask other questions too we might have even more questions it almost sounds like a good book for everybody to read because the metaphor and the analogy is so strong and it sounds like the questions and answers might also help us in the conversation I had yesterday with the upcoming guest, you know, she was talking about the same kind of thing, you know, their muscles are fine, but their brain has forgotten how to tell them to walk or pick things up or whatever. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess I never really thought about it. Cause my mom is very mobile and, you know, she doesn't have any walking aids or she doesn't have any issues that way. Mm-hmm. She can't remember anything for, I mean, her memory was about two minutes until somewhat recently, probably late summer, early fall, it slipped. Oh. Um, and now it's, ugh. <laughs> it's right. two minutes is bad enough and, and less than two minutes is even worse, <sighs> you know, and I, it's hard for you. Yeah. Well, well, this has been a very long journey. Um, I, in having a conversation with another one of your all's authors this week, she mentioned sending letters and making phone calls to her. I think it was her dad's doctor and basically getting ignored. And it triggered a memory that my dad did the same thing. And I believe it was 1998. He started having concerns about her memory and my mom's doctor blew him off too. So if you figure, okay, that was in 1998, this is 2018. That is 20 years. Yes. And you know what? My doc, my mom's doctor blew her off and my dad off too. <laughs> I've had some people say, well, why would you want to know if there's no cure to which now I have a much better answer than I did before starting the podcast is because there are a lot of things you can do to delay the, the worst ravages of the disease. Yeah. Um, I'm only 52 and I believe my mom started showing signs at 52 and a half. And she wasn't involved in a significant car accident in December of 1991. And I think she started showing signs in the summer of 95, which if my dad was talking to her doctor in 98, even if it was 2000, Mm -hmm. it's still just been, I don't, I've only talked to like one or two other people who have been on this journey this long. Yeah, that is long. It is, yeah, it's not. Ours is the opposite, where ours was extremely short, really fast. Um, Which is good and bad. I know, I think they're just different, like, they're just different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's like, and because my mom will be 76 in January, January 2019, she'll be 76. Her mom had what I believe was undiagnosed Alzheimer's, and she that happened in her mid to late seventies and she lived in 91 Mm -hmm. because my mom is still so physically capable. 
Yes. You know, she doesn't have any trouble eating or walking or any of those things. Really mobile. And yeah, it's like trying to figure out activities and stuff. Oh yeah. Cause sitting around having her ask me, well, so what have you been up to lately? That's, that's one of her main questions. And if for whatever reason I'm forced to, if that's the only alternative that day, I'll, I'll tell her, well, I went to the gym and then the next time she asked, well, okay, well today was rotary. So I went to the rotary meeting and then she'll ask me again and I'll say, well, so-and-so spoke at the rotary meeting. And so I kind of break up my day into little chunks, but after about 20 minutes, there's, my day is not that exciting. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'll, I'll tell her the whole thing all at once and then other little chunks, but now it's, it's even worse because it's, it's not even two minutes. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, and I look and I think, you know, God forbid she lives to 91. Mm. I, I don't think I can do this journey that many more years. Right. And I look back on it. My sister is 47. And if my mom's had, you know, so my, my mom has had this all of our adult life. Cause I've been thinking back to, well, what was it like when I didn't know she had this problem? Mm. You know, there's a difference between dealing with it and being aware that, you know, she's, got some really daffy moments and they happen more and more frequently and starting to get kind of worried. Right. And that was when they, when we retired from our, when they retired from our family business, that was March of 2005. I I knew then that she was, she was already kind of bad. So it's, it's been a very long journey. (laughs) That's one of the reasons for the neurologist appointment on Monday is, my sister and I were never briefed, for lack of a better term, on her diagnosis, or I didn't even know she'd been to a neurologist. I, did, I had no, we had no details. And yeah. since she had to get a new physician at, in her, the group that she goes to, the gal suggested that we start with a new neurologist. And I just kind of looked at her like, what's the point? And, you know, I love those uh, nonverbal communications you get between people. She looked at me and I'm like, oh, she's trying to tell me something like, could I maybe get like a timeline? She goes, yeah, maybe. And I'm like, okay. And I know they won't tell me, well, it's probably going to only be five years because even when I was pregnant with my daughter, they wouldn't tell me for sure it was a girl, which was really silly. <laughs> that was in 91. So that was like a whole lifetime ago. Yeah. Um, you know, I know they're concerned that, if they tell me five years and it's five and a half, I'm going to sue them or something stupid, but I I'm going to insist that they give me their best professional estimate so that I have at least like, what do I look for? Now, what do I need to be aware of? So she's in a care community and and they do a good job, but they're not nurses. Mm -hmm. Now they're not doctors. They're just, they're just caregivers. Yeah. And you know, it's my responsibility and my sister's responsibility to take care of mom. And so I need, I need medical advice on what to do and to look for, because I've never met somebody who's had it this long and been, she's still verbal and physical. I mean, it's just the only thing wrong with her is her mind. Doesn't have any memories at all. (laughs) Even she doesn't even really have long-term memory anymore. Mm. Um, I right, took like her, you were saying the Christmas carols. Yeah, I took her wedding album late winter, so the very the early this year, maybe February, March. And she recognized herself and my dad and mostly each set of parents, but not her siblings, not the cousins, nobody else. 
mm-hmm. in the in the pictures. And I thought, okay, well, the cousins, I don't even know who these people are. I'm not sure I've met them in my whole life. So I can kind of understand that, but not her siblings. Yeah. I was like, okay, this is really strange. And so that's when I abandoned the whole, you know, trip down memory lane suggestions with people with Alzheimer's because that wasn't, that wasn't fun either. And And it was work for us either. We had very little success. I mean, maybe it was an element with frontal temporal, but she was, wasn't something that was ever um, what she wanted to do. She would be much more um, wanting to be a bit more active, like let's play with clay or let's rip up. We did a lot of art stuff like collages and things like that. She didn't want to. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even get my mom. It stressed her out. Um, because it, she didn't know the answers or something. So that's very likely, but she doesn't do any of the activities in the community. And she was very creative. She did a lot of her own sewing. She did painting. And mm. um, later in life, she did woodworking. Wow. So she was definitely a creative person. Um, she can't, there was one time, it was last year. And she moved in in March. So it must have been about this time last year. I was just like, I can't deal with this anymore. And all the, they were all coloring and, you know, they have the simple pictures. And my mom, when she moved into the community, she had her dog. They allowed her to keep her dog. The dog was way more trouble than she was worth, unfortunately, because she was a very nice dog, but she had no structure or discipline. And she couldn't, go in and out to the courtyard on her own. And she just, she was a mess. The, the residents fed her to the point where she was literally double her weight. Oh my goodness. Yes. I, I kept expecting to show up one day and find popped poodle all over the floor. You know, cause she just kept getting heavier and heavier. And my mom was really tuning her out a lot, but we, I was with her this one day and the dog was there. And one of the simple coloring pages was a poodle. Like, ta-da, yay. The only problem is it's kind of one color, but she couldn't really decipher between what was in the lines and what was outside the lines. Mm -hmm. And it was just frustrating. And she just, she finally gave up. And I'm, and I kept encouraging her because I'm like, Oh, it's fun. It's relaxing. And it's like, and I don't have anything else to do with you today. So, um, I finally abandoned the, you know, like they say, well, simplify the hobbies they like to do. That doesn't work. She doesn't want to read with me. She doesn't respond to music or the old photo albums. It's like, okay, I don't know what else to do with you. Yeah. We do have a regional park very close to where she's at. It's probably less than 15 minute drive. And there's a cave there. Now during the week, the cave is closed. It's a sand mine. You can do tours in there, but that's only open on the weekend. And I took her and her friend one day and we just walk, you know, they were both very, you know, very mobile still. And people were like, you brought them back? And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's tempting to leave them there, but no, I brought them back. <laughs> you know, that's it's great that you have nice weather where you are that you guys can, I know sometimes you're going to have rain, but um, that, you know, you can continue to take her out for most of the time. That yeah, sounds the, like the best activity for her right now. For you. Yeah, the last visit to the regional park about three weeks ago, it might have been a little longer because, you know, we had all that smoke. It was before the election, so it was before November 6th. So it's been, it's been a, a little bit. Um, as we were leaving, you know, she was like, oh, that was a really nice day. And she loves to look at the sky, even when it's just blue and no clouds. 
which you guys probably don't get as much back there because you have actual humidity and we don't, even when it <laughs> rains. <laughs> and I said, well, maybe, you know, when it's even, maybe we can come in the winter as long as it's not too, too cold or wet. I said, we'll bring some blankets and a thermos of hot chocolate and, and just sit. So I might try that. I don't know. She might resist because she's, um, she's at the absolute lowest healthy body weight. Mm -hmm. She might even be a little low. Mm -hmm. um, not, you know, not anything to worry about at this point, but she, she doesn't need to lose any weight. That's for sure. So she might be afraid of getting cold. And I did try to get her a new jacket, but she rejected that idea because the sleeves were too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm taking my mom shopping was always an adventure when, um, yeah, when she needed something that's, <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. But we had these little cards that um, the Alzheimer's, we don't have a, the Alzheimer's Association in Canada. We have an organization called the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. And they have these cards, uh, like, a, like a business card that says, um, you know, my name is Bonnie and I have memory impairment. Please be understanding. And you can give or, and I would give them to people and say, this is my, for my mom. And then when you go to a store, like, a, you know, a clothing store or a nail salon or a restaurant, you can give them to people and then without saying it out loud. And then they, you know, are more aware of what's going on. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad idea. When we, when I took the two Dianes to the nail salon on Monday, I, I leaned over and explained to the gals there that they both had Alzheimer's and they were great with the two ladies. You know, they tease them because my mom's friend was all concerned because she couldn't find her wallet. I don't know what was in her purse. I know my mom's purse has got like tissues in it and I don't know what was in this guy, other Diane's purse, but she didn't have her wallet and she was all upset and she didn't know where the bank was. I'm like, don't worry about it. It's my treat. And the nail technician would be like, Oh, you, you do my treat next. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you can do your own nails. And what was nice is the staff called her daughter and said, you know, Jennifer wants to take your mom to the nail place with her mom. And the daughter was all concerned. Well, how do I get, how do I pay her? And, and they were like, I don't think it's a big deal. And so now I've established like this cursory relationship because now they, they're, they feel like they need to reciprocate. So now I know they'll be paying attention to my mom and I pay attention to their oh, mom. And nice. I feel like that's a really beneficial thing. And hopefully we can run into each other. I might have to ask the staff if they can give me her phone number. I don't know if that's allowed. Mm. Maybe I'll leave a note in her mom's room. Hey, this is so-and-so. Here's my phone number. Can you give me your... Exactly. Like but that made me think of something that I mean it, it would it would depend because your mom has had the has been in a care home probably for a while but we did um have because my mom was quite young she still had a relatively large social network and we would have friends come and take her for walks uh like have go so she was out more and then what my dad or, or I could handle you know having people that were for her friends um come and go out and stuff like that too and tried to do that it was harder as she progressed as you know people kind of disappear <laughs> um it's hard if you don't know how to communicate with them or it's like the biggest blessing and I've said this on past episodes uh, my mom's been in the care community about 20 months now when we moved her in the business manager you know, the one that you gotta do all the paperwork with 
Yes. I had made a comment because we, we moved around two weeks after my dad died because they had an opening and the 24 seven caregivers in their house, just so expensive. Yeah. And I, you know, her rattling around in that house, it just, it wasn't a good situation, even though she, they'd lived there almost 47 years. And that was a town where we grew up and her friends were there. You know, I, I didn't know how much longer her friends would keep coming by and taking her out to lunch and stuff. And it just was necessary to move her, but it felt very heartless two weeks after my dad died. And the best advice that lady gave me was don't invite your mom to our reality. And I said, "Uh, okay, explain. And she said, if your mom doesn't remember that your dad died, don't remind her Mm -hmm. because you know, it'll be the first time she heard it and she'll have to go through that whole grieving process over again And that was excellent advice because my mom doesn't remember my dad's gone. Whenever I take her out, she's always, does my husband know where I'm going? Does my husband know where I'm going? It's like, yes, mom. I talked to dad. I made the mistake once of saying, oh, he was at Rotary with us. He knew I was coming over. You know, I'm I'm sure he'll understand, you know, he'll figure it out. Oh my gosh, she went into panic mode. (laughs) So I don't ever say that again. He, He had very bad health and very little patience. Mm. of which she she tested it pretty pretty significantly <laughs> so i th- i know he got very snappish and very short with her a lot more frequently than i would have liked and it's obvious that that's what she remembers because she freaks out if she thinks he doesn't know where she's going oh. so it's and it's frustrating because it's always you know does my husband know where i'm going it's always almost confrontational it's like the right. only negative thing i get from her except there's a case like when I told her we had to go to the dentist and I forgot what, what exactly I had said. And she, Oh, I was explaining why my dad couldn't drive her anymore. Cause he, he doesn't see well anymore and he hasn't been able to drive for a couple of years. <laughs> and she just looked at me and she goes, Oh, bullshit. I'm like, <laughs> thanks. You know, this is already a difficult enough conversation to pretend that he's still alive. Oh my goodness, girl. <laughs> we had one time in April. We were driving home. You know, man, my family's good at this too. We were driving. We were not far from her residence. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, she goes, it was so sad when your dad died. And I was like, whoa. whoa. Like I did not crash the car. And it literally lasted about two minutes. We reminisced about him. And then she was talking about the sky. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's all I've gotten. That's, it does. You have, they have this happen where you have these moments of, um, these moments where they are much more aware than they were the moment before and the moment after. Um, it was just so out of the blue and we'd been at the memory doctor and she, man, she flunked those tests brilliantly. <laughs> it's just because it's such a strange disease, how it affects all of those I guess cells inside that brain. The breeze must've blown the weed just exactly. off that memory enough. Blew it to uncover the rose. For just yeah. Cause my daughter was good at, you know, we were driving home one evening from, from the shop and she goes, I know Santa's not real. And this was about, the second week of December. So it's not a time that you want to admit that to your seven or eight year old kid. Yes. And it's like, and of course, you know, they just slam that right upside your head verbally. And it's like, I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> so cause I, I seem to get blasted with reality checks in the car. <laughs> 
I had a similar one. Well, I, I had the birds and the bees in a car. Oh. After we're in the, we go to a pioneer village, and my little son, mommy, how come they had so many babies in those days? Weird. Oh, <laughs> talk about that right now oh boy yeah you don't really have time to regroup because you can't get away from them (laughs) yeah that wasn't that would have been that's an extra tough version of that conversation (laughs) but I bet you handled it fine so do you have any last tips on talking to kids about memory loss and you know dementia and Alzheimer's um well I think you know it the connections we've talked about, how wonderful the connections can be between children and people that are having memory loss. So looking for those opportunities to connect means it makes so much sense to talk to kids about the disease, to talk about it in truth, to be honest, to be open, talk to them about what we're talking about as we don't know what's going to happen or which way the wind's going to blow. Um, and even talking about our feelings can be really great uh, to, to let them know. You know, it, kids, can be, kids can be scared of, of adults with memory impairment um, because they sometimes say uh, crude words and they sometimes get really angry for no reason. And I think the more that we are honest and open with our children about what's happening using books like my book. And there's actually more and more books every day. I see um, more and more books being created. So there's lots of choice for kids to um, picture books are really wonderful ways to explore this topic with them. Um, So, and yeah, be honest about you feeling sad sometimes about it and, and know that the kids are going to just benefit from that connection so much. So it's worth spending some time and talking to them about it. I think that's the important thing to remember because sometimes we want to shield the kids from that because it is scary and ugly and, you know, it's not the part of life we want to share or participate in. Yeah. But since you don't have an option, I, I think I like your advice and I have added your book to my favorite things page oh, so people can, they can just click right through the show notes and order it. Thank you. Because I think everybody, I think everybody should look at it. I haven't gotten my copy yet. I'm behind on all my, all my all's authors. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of us. Yes, there is. And I do, I like the novels. Um, I'm working on blue hydrangeas mm. and it's beautiful. Like everybody told me, and I like the novels because it's, it's not clinical and it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of my reality, but it's not. Yes. So. It's somebody else's reality in their different unique situation and some of them have it harder than you on some things and easier on other things and yeah yeah it makes you feel not alone in your in your <laughs> challenges and, and until I connected with you guys the alls authors I didn't know that there was actually alzheimer's fiction because when I sit down to read in the evening, I don't want to read about Alzheimer's. Sometimes I spend way more time with Alzheimer's than I want Yeah, between my mom and the podcast and everything. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like it's all, all Alzheimer's all the time. So I'd well, rather, rather read a, something that has nothing to do with Alzheimer's. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I mean, for me, I actually took a bit of time before I made my book after my mom passed. You just sometimes you just need to step back from it, but then get the strength back again to 
to do something to help everybody else. <laughs> so. It'll be interesting. I had a past client who's a business coach. She moved to Tennessee from California and she suggested a little over a year ago, she goes, you should write a book. And I thought about it. And at the time I thought, well, I'd have to wait till mom's gone and that could be 15 years. And then I don't know. I was like, well, that, that I'll be kind of old. By then. <laughs> I think you want to want to do whatever it is, uh, you know, you want to, and the time that you're doing it, it's healing for you. So if it, you know, your podcast is what you're doing and maybe later you'll feel like a book, but I think it's, that's, yeah. That's kind of what I thought because I don't have an idea for a direction for a book at this point. That's why I was thinking, well, I'd have to wait till mom is gone because then I'd have years of stories collected, <laughs> but I'm not sure how to translate some of our experiences into stories. Cause they're more visual, like her tapping her feet across the ground, making sure there's no crevices or cliffs on the flat ground. <laughs> I, you know, I can totally understand that though, because they're just the perception that they, they're, sometimes the perception can be so wonky. Have you, you've probably heard about those dementia, virtual reality things that they're starting mm -hmm. to have. I wonder. There is actually um, a gal here in California. I think she's in California. There's people in my support group that have gone through it. I know the facilitator of the support group has done it and it's on my list to do. And what's interesting, I have, I, have a, I have a visual issue that is brain-related. I have lazy eye from when I was born. Okay. And my brain thinks I see double, so it only, it only accepts the input from one eye at a time. So I already have weird... <laughs> I have no depth perception, so that should be really interesting doing the, um, the virtual dementia tour because I know that's one of the things that it, it screws with is your depth perception. I don't have any, so... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Like, oh, this is the way it always looks for me. Yeah, it's like, well, okay, whatever. This should be interesting, but I think after the first of the year, I'll see if there's other people that wanted to do it together. And I think mm -hmm. the support group has talked about that in the past, so I'll bring that up with her again next week, I think, is our meeting. So it should be interesting, but doing this podcast, I've just, it's opened up the world of resources and, and knowledge that I was looking for years ago. Mm, right. Oh, so I'm glad to be a part of that resource part of the world now. <laughs> Hopefully it's a good one. And I really appreciate you talking to me and I hope everybody gets a copy of weeds in Nana's garden just because it's, you know, I think, I just think the talking points in the back, the questions you said you got from the kids could help everybody children, adults. I think you're right. I've had a lot of feedback that people talk about, say that too. They say, this has helped me too. So thank you. Thank you you're, so much for inviting me, Jennifer. You're welcome. And you have a good holiday. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> if there's someone in your life, a family member, neighbor, friend, suffering from Alzheimer's or dementia, and you've got young kids in your house, definitely get a copy of Weeds in Nana's Garden. You'll love it, they'll love it, and hopefully your kids can interact with your loved one with memory loss like Catherine's kids interacted with their Nana. As always, I will talk to you again next week. I want to tell you about an app that I recently found out about. It's called I'm Up. I'm Up is an app that gives you peace of mind, independence, as well as security. It's simple. 
download the app, you input your contact information, and you put in your emergencies contact information like your kid or a neighbor, and you choose the time of day where you check in, which texts them that you're okay. I've actually been playing around with this, and it's kind of fun because I don't need to check in with hubby because he's sitting right across the table from me. The other day, he got a notification that said to check in on Jennifer because I hadn't checked in lately. If I had not continued to check in, emergency services would have been contacted, so it's probably a good thing he got that text. Anyway, there's a premium version also that gives you up to three check-in times, and it can text all of your contacts that you choose, all the family members or a neighbor or both, your choice, that you're up, you're okay, and they don't need to worry about you. Check it out. It's available in either of the app stores. And when you sign up, use invite code 006 so the folks at I'm Up know that you heard about them from me. Hey, this is Steve from Great Lakes True Crime. We tell stories from Ohio and the rest of the lower Great Lakes region. Give us a listen on your favorite podcast app. And follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Just search for Great Lakes True Crime.